This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty, Hawaii's favorite morning show, coming at you roughly 3 p.m. Central Time every single day of the week when we want to. It's just me, Nate Thurston, here today. Charlie is not here, but I knew Charlie wasn't going to be here earlier today, so I have, I have plenty of time to think about what I was going to talk about I, uh, yeah, I'm reading through the comments. So, so today, just for everyone listening in the, uh, on the podcast app, I'm going to be trying to interact more with the live group who has joined now by going to goodmorningliberty.locals.com. That way we can chat about this. We could just talk about Charlie if you want to. There's really, you know, there's nothing he can do about it. We could spend a whole episode and I'll just tell you guys stories about Charlie because there's a lot of personal stories that he doesn't tell on the podcast and I could tell a bunch of them, but maybe, maybe I won't because then I'd have to see him afterwards. So I'll have to think about the future, I guess. But anyway, if you haven't followed or subscribed or whatever they call it on the tyrannical podcast apps, make sure you go do that. Make sure you join the community on locals. Good morning, liberty.locals.com. I've only got a couple things I wanted to talk about today. I'll tell you the first the first story here is not the main topic, but I just, I found it somewhat comical and frustrating and really the reaction to what's going on with us. So I got on Twitter earlier, which is something that really no one should ever do, but I had to get on Twitter because Facebook and Instagram have crashed earlier. And so there was just nothing else to do. Facebook was down just like their stock price over the last, uh, over the last couple of weeks. So down like 15%. Since the peak, how much uh, that's a good lesson for taxing unrealized gains. You know, all the companies that those top 10 billionaires that Mr. Dan Price was talking about, they're all down like between 10 and 20 percent since the number that they're all pulling from. Of course, they pulled from the bottom of the market up to the top of the market and said, how much money did these guys make over the pandemic? Well, the last uh, couple of weeks have been a good just a good reminder that those are unrealized gains and that's why you don't tax unrealized gains because now i mean you're literally talking hundreds of billions of dollars that is no longer there when it comes to those people's gains especially mark zuckerberg's which facebook is going to be a main topic here the first thing comes from the new york post i don't know if you guys saw this but there is a george floyd statue in Union Square, and it has been defaced already. It it uh it just went up, and it's been defaced. Someone threw paint on it. So from the, I'm going to show you the video of this happening, and it's really the reaction to this, honestly, because you know you guys know what we've gone through over the last year or two, and you know how people typically treat the defacement of 
statues. Now, listen, I'm not saying anything about whether or not George Floyd's George Floyd was a good guy, was a bad guy. I don't really care. I don't think that that matters very much. Uh, but I'll tell you here in a sec what the New York Post says. Video released by cops early Monday captures the moment a vandal on a skateboard tossed paint on a George Floyd statue in Union Square. The clip caught the unidentified suspect ducking behind a nearby statue of the late Representative John Lewis around 10.15 a.m. Sunday and messing with something in his backpack before the skateboarded toward the Floyd installation. He is shown hurling gray paint on the face and base of the Floyd bust and then riding off, heading north on the west side of the park. Be on the lookout for this person. Two people, apparently an adult and a child, were standing nearby as a suspect flung the paint, thwarting the adult's attempt to take a photo of the statue. The footage shows. Here's the interesting part. The NYPD's Hate Crimes Task Force is investigating the incident. All right, I will play the video for everyone real quick so we can see what's going on. I'm going to bring this up, and this is what that looked like. There's no sound on this video, so I'll describe it. Here's a guy on a, here's a, guy on a skateboard walking around eerily trying to make sure no one's watching if you're looking for him he looks like a typical skateboarder he has shorts and some chucks on with socks that are arguably too tall for when you're wearing shorts now he gets something out of his backpack he rides up and he hurls the paint on the George Floyd statue this is almost better than the video honestly I think listening to me do this. Okay, so that's uh, that's all that looked like right there. That's that's really all we have to know. So, oh, I have this playing through my uh, computer right now. Let me turn that off. And see, this is something that happens when you're sitting here by yourself. So the Hate Crimes Task Force has to deal with this. Hate Crimes Task Force. Uh, doesn't that um, doesn't that seem a little weird to anyone? Uh, I, I guess when this wasn't George Floyd, by the way, I guess that's my main point. Now, <laughs> now uh, we can talk about hate crimes as well, of course. So I think that those are ridiculous. Hate crimes say that some people's lives matter more than others. I, it's actually hard to find anyone. I, I actually haven't talked to anyone that defended hate crimes, which you made the point that uh, if someone gets killed, that is white and someone gets killed that is black like are you gonna say to their family that one of those people's lives mattered more and so now of course the george floyd statue is a victim of a hate crime this is a statue just so everyone knows this this isn't george floyd he's dead tragically he's not there now this guy clearly as people in the group are saying he hates statues and so that's why he did this of course and so maybe it is a hate crime. But uh, of course, as we would normally say, pretty much everything is a hate crime. You had some kind of hate in your heart and you had to let it out when you did whatever it was that you did. So that's pretty ridiculous. You want to know something else that's ridiculous is really, uh, really, really being upset about this and then hoping that uh, and then saying, well, luckily, the police are here to find this person. And bring them to justice. Luckily, luckily, I really hope the cops find this person. 
Uh, everyone, let's reinstate all the cops that we said shouldn't exist so they can find the person that defaced the statue. Okay. It's just, there's a little bit of dumb bleep for you because there's, there's going to be so much stuff throughout the week that we won't be able to talk about that on Friday. And then I want to tell everyone, thanks to some people in the group, finally complaining enough about the negativity we are going to have what's uh, tentatively called white pill Wednesday, where we will talk about why things are going to be okay. All the things that show us that things are going to be okay. It's just going to be an episode chock full of good things and positivity that we're going to do every week that we could possibly find enough content to fill a show that had to talk about things that are good that's going on. But we talk about plenty of negativity and there's good things out there as well. And if you see good bleep, then send me an email, natespodcastnotes at gmail.com if you want to see that go in. Or if you're already a member on the Discord, of course, we made a channel for that. So make sure you put that good news in there. The next thing I want to talk about, really the main point, I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. So... There's a lot of talk about Facebook these days. Congress, of course, very upset about them. If you talk to people on the left, they're upset because of misinformation. And if you talk to people on the right, they're upset because of censorship. And they recently were going to be starting an Instagram for kids. This was going to be a topic of conversation throughout the week. They're in Congress as some people go up to testify. And they decided that they're not going to be doing that, which, you know, overall, I think that that's a good idea. I I just, I don't know. I mean, I guess people should be free to do it. Parents should be free to parent that in whatever way they want to. And so if they wanted to create a social media app specifically for kids, uh, then parents should do their parenting thing. But I can see a lot of things going wrong with that for sure. A lot of a lot of terrible things going wrong with that. But the new thing is, this Facebook whistleblower was on 60 Minutes last night and is saying that they are misleading the public on progress against hate speech and violence and misinformation. The one thing I'll tell you that uh, we've talked about a little bit recently, we know that if you have something that is fact-checked, that it hurts your, it hurts your circulation on Facebook. So I was looking at our page earlier and we've actually got one against us right now. And I don't know how long it takes for it to come off of there. I even thought about deleting the post because that one post is not important enough to slow down all of the other dank memes that we are going to be putting out on that Facebook page. But they did, they did cut down our page again, once again. So last month, now we had some viral posts but uh, yeah, maybe Joe, it's uh, maybe it's like your credit history. Maybe it's seven years. They seem to have let us go from some of the other things they decided were not true a little while back already. So I, I'm thinking it's going to be a few months that they wait for that to happen. But uh, a month ago, our reach on Facebook had actually reached about 15 million people, which is great. We had some viral posts. They went really well. We reached about 15 million people. And I noticed all of a sudden, I actually mentioned this to Charlie last week. I was like, our Facebook, we, we got destroyed somehow. Uh, they, they're just, nothing is going out to anyone. 
And now that reach over a month has gone down to about 1.5 million from that. And I'm still putting out the same amazing content that we'd normally be putting out on our Facebook. And so I looked on there and they have decided that something was mostly false. It was fact-checked by whatever one of their fact-checking organizations was. And it was that... Uh, it was that little infographic about how many munitions we had given to the Taliban and the dollar figure for those. So this many guns, this much artillery, this many planes, all that. And they decided they didn't say that that wasn't true. They said that no one knows how much all of that stuff was worth. And so that specific infographic couldn't be true because no one actually knows how much there was or what the value of all of it was that there's no accounting of any of it. If that's just, if that just tells you right there and what Joe just said, yeah, yeah, I kind of missed the point there a little bit. Uh, the dollar figure doesn't really matter. It said 80 billion on the original meme. If it's 40 billion, does that make everyone feel better? Oh, I guess it was totally fine. Just $40 billion worth of stuff. That's not only it's only 20 billion, only 20 billion worth of, of munitions that we've left over there in Afghanistan. Now that I'm totally fine with that now. And so anyway, now they've knocked down our reach once again, another instance of censorship, by the way, from TikTok. which what else would you expect? I put out a video this weekend. You guys remember the Milton Friedman, what is greed conversation on Phil Donahue, one of the greatest responses of all time that we've ever seen. Doesn't matter. I don't know if you like Milton Friedman or not. His response to Phil Donahue asking him if he ever had a moment of doubt about capitalism was one of the greatest responses that I've ever heard to any political question. So I put that out over all the social media platforms. I feel like, hey, everyone needs to hear this. It did really well on Twitter. It's still doing really well on Facebook, actually. And on TikTok, crickets, nothing. So I look back at TikTok, and I mean, we've got... 20 something thousand followers on TikTok. Uh, normally your run of the mill Milton Friedman video will get 15,000 views in the first week. No problem. And, and so I put, put that out there and I was like, all right, this is going to do really well. This is a really good conversation. I look back at it. It's got 20, 20 views. I'm like, well, that's a, that's kind of odd. And so I looked at it and it said that there was no audio on the video. So I was like, okay, maybe I messed something up. I redid the video again. Now I put the same video out on all the other social media platforms. I redid the video again, put it out there again, and put it up, doing it in the TikTok editor, playing the playing audio, no problems. Okay, I post the video out there. What do you know? Like uh, six hours later, things got no views. I look back at it, there's no audio on the video. So I was like, okay, we're getting censored here. That's what's happening. They've done it before on... Basically, anything that mentions China, they will do that. So, hey, what are you going to expect? It's a CCP app. That's that's fine. I'm deciding to use it, I guess. So I took the Milton Friedman video and I edited where he talks about China. And I took it out of there and I put it back on there. And all of a sudden, uh, it's looking really well, uh, looking really good. Gets a couple hundred views pretty quickly. And then I go back there a few hours later. No audio on the video once again. So I don't know. Uh, it's it's pretty blatant sometimes. And yes, I did I did unplug it and plugged it back in, 
and I, I replugged the audio back in. I made sure I was using the right audio settings. I turned my phone off and on and uh, just not going to work. So there's censorship out there. Of course, there's going to be censorship on TikTok. But anyway, let's get back to Facebook. Does that count as a personal story? That's more like a business story. I, I don't know. So the whistleblower says that Facebook is misleading the public on progress against hate speech, violence, and misinformation. This comes from CBS News because this was just on 60 Minutes last night. So her name is Frances Haugen. Frances Haugen. So I'll just say Haugen for the rest of this. Her complaints say that Facebook's own research shows that it amplifies hate, misinformation, and political unrest. But the company hides what it knows. One complaint alleges that Facebook's Instagram harms teenage girls. And they did put out that study saying that it wasn't overall a good thing. Haugen said, the thing I saw at Facebook over and over again was there were conflicts of interest between what was good for the public and what was good for Facebook. And Facebook, over and over again, chose to optimize for its own interests, like making more money. This is going to be a recurring theme that we go back to while we're talking about this. She said that there was a conflict of interest between what was good for the public and what was good for Facebook. And you're going to find that what they did was they maximized what people wanted to see. Uh, but Facebook, I guess, is supposed to decide what is good for the public. That's going to be the general idea here, even if it's what people want to see. Listen, no one makes you click on stuff. No one makes you do it. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in, the, here in a sec. Haugen secretly copied tens of thousands of pages of Facebook internal research. She says evidence shows that the company is lying to the public about making significant progress against hate, violence, and misinformation. One study from this year says, we estimate that we may action as little as 3 to 5% of hate and about 6 tenths of 1% of violence and incitement on Facebook, despite being the best in the world at it. So they know that they're not getting everything. I don't think that any of us are surprised about that. I'm, I'm, that's why I put, when, I, when I, I put what we were talking about today in the announcements thing on Discord, I put whistleblower in quotes because this, I don't, this isn't anything that we don't already know. I don't think that this is some massive revelation that no one would have ever imagined. Oh my God, they amplify incendiary speech. I had no idea. When I get on there, I just see pictures of my grandpa's food. That's all I ever see when I get on there. So Scott Pelley was inter interviewing her. Said to quote from another one of the documents you brought out, we have evidence from a variety of sources that hate speech, divisive political speech, and misinformation on Facebook and the family of apps are affecting societies around the world. Haugen says, when we live in an information environment that is full of angry, hateful, polarizing content, it erodes our civic trust, it erodes our faith in each other, it erodes our ability to want to care for each other. The version of Facebook that exists today is tearing our societies apart and causing ethnic violence around the world. So she worked on the civic integrity in the civic integrity section, which uh, she was working on before the, uh, the election. That's what they were working on. As she was trying to make sure that there weren't a bunch of, there wasn't a bunch of, bunch of misinformation going on around the election. So I don't know, maybe she's the one who wanted to censor that uh, Hunter Biden laptop story. I'm not really sure. Now, what you'll find through this conversation and through all of the rhetoric on this is that, of course, who is guilty of this? Who's guilty of the hate speech? 
and the divisive rhetoric? Who is it? It's no one. It's not people. It's not people that are on the left. It's not people that are collectivists. We're talking about evil right wingers here. They're not doing a good enough job knocking these people down. Haugen says they told us this was after the election. She said that we're dissolving civic integrity. That was her position there. Like they basically said, oh, good, we made it through the election. There weren't riots. We can get rid of civic integrity now. Fast forward a couple months, we got the insurrection. And when they got rid of civic integrity, it was the moment where I was like, I don't trust, I don't trust they're willing to actually invest what needs to be invested to keep Facebook from being dangerous. You're going to keep talking about January 6th in this conversation as well, because Facebook didn't do what it needed to do to stop that. She said that the root of Facebook's problem is a change in the algorithm that it made in 2018. The programming decides what you see on your Facebook newsfeed. Now, I remember when this happened. It's definitely different from what it used to be. But I've actually always said that this is still, this is still our fault. Facebook shows us what it thinks we want to see. And it thinks we want to see that because those are the things that we spend our time on when we're on Facebook. And so what you're asking is for an algorithm that shows you things that you don't look at is what you're essentially like. I, we want to make an algorithm that shows you things that you don't want to see when you go on there. Another issue is, by the way, and I've said this a bunch of times, how, how long would you guys say that you spend on Facebook at one time? You open it up and you scroll down. How many posts do you think you look at? 20? 20 would probably be a lot. Me, when I open it up, I see like one thing in the in the first page and I click on it and then I'm on that for a while and I probably get out of the app and do 30 other things before I decide to go back to it a few minutes later. What are they supposed to do? This is kind of aside from the topic, but you have a thousand friends on there. If you're super popular, maybe Tom from MySpace is one of your friends on there. So you have a thousand friends and family on there and you've liked a thousand different pages and you're going to get on the app and you're going to look at 20 things and then you're going to get off of the app and the, and that's it. What are they supposed to do? They're going to show you things that they think you want to see when you first look through those 20 or 30 things before you get off your phone. That's, that's what they're going to do. So I don't exactly hate that they do that. It actually makes my time more efficient because the only reason I use Facebook is to find things to put on the show. So maybe I'm a little bit, outside of the norm on that. So she says, you have your phone. You might only see a hundred pieces of content if you sit and scroll on for five minutes, but Facebook has thousands of options. It could show you the algorithm picks from those options based on the kind of content you've engaged with most in the past. And one of the consequences of how Facebook is picking out that content is it's optimizing for content that gets engagement or reaction, but its own research is showing that that content is hateful, that it's divisive, that it's polarizing. It's easier to inspire people to anger than it is to other emotions. Facebook has realized that if they change the algorithm to be safer, people will spend less time on the site, they'll click on less ads, and Facebook will make less money. Once again, I still, listen, I'm not saying Facebook is a, is a good thing. And I think uh, Joe just asked about the social dilemma. I actually haven't seen that. I've heard a lot of people talk about that. Um, was that on Netflix, maybe? Something like that, I can't remember. Uh, no, I haven't, I haven't watched that, but I probably need to. I'm not saying that Facebook is good for us. I definitely try to stay off of it at night. 
I actually set a rule a little while back. I used to sit there and just argue with people about politics all night, even people on my personal page and everything. And I don't post anything about politics anymore, especially on my personal page. Of course, I post it on all the other pages, but I don't do it anymore at all because I had some arguments with people that I really didn't want to have arguments with. And I was like, this thing that we're talking about, I don't care. I don't want to lose any friends over my friend's stupid opinions when it comes to politics. So let's just not do that anymore. And then I also set a rule where I don't get on the social media platforms at night. Like when I go home, that's really to help my marriage is what that's for. Because obviously I spend all my time uh, dealing with political stuff. Um, Haugen says, as soon as the election was over, they turned them back off. This was uh, their algorithms that they made to try and make things safer. They tried to they tried to make things safer before the before the election, of course, by censoring stories that would have hurt Joe Biden's candidacy candidacy. And um, and so after that, they turned that back off. And she said that that feels like a betrayal of democracy. Which I don't I, I don't completely pick up on uh, like the side where it shows you it, it puts it puts every it puts everything out there equally and it shows you things that you might want to see and lets those things rise to the top, which it's not like they're always good things. And not controlling those things, if you don't control those things, then that would be a betrayal of democracy. You tell me. I don't know. She says, Facebook says some of the safety systems remain, but after the election, Facebook was used by some to organize the January 6th insurrection. You guys know that insurrection where no one brought any guns and uh, they were going to take over the United States government. Yeah. Prosecutors cite Facebook posts as evidence, photos of armed partisans and text, including, quote, by bullet or ballot, restoration of the republic is coming, end quote. Extremists use many platforms, but Facebook is a recurring theme. Of course, Facebook is a recurring theme. It's the biggest platform. So people are going to use that. Now, what you won't mention in the whole thing, I guess this kind of ties into the first story too. Any mention of any of the riots that occurred last year. You guys know those riots that occurred where cities were on fire and dozens of people were killed and hundreds injured, more than likely um, billions of dollars in property damage. You guys remember those things that happened? Me either. It's kind of like just nothing ever. We'll just we'll just get that off of there. So in this whole conversation about Facebook making things more divisive and politically polarizing, it's all about allowing right-wing stuff to rise to the top on Facebook. That's what it's about. And that's what we're going to hear when she testifies. She is testifying in front of Congress this week. That's what we're going to hear. And people on the left are going to want to question her and say, oh, Look at all this evil right-wing hate speech that's rising to the top. She even said in there that she she lost a friend to uh, to conspiracy theories. I hate it when you lose a friend to conspiracy theories. One of my friends came down with conspiracy theories the other day. They put him on a vent. It didn't work. And uh, he ended up succumbing to the conspiracy theories. And that that's always really sad when that happens. So then Scott Pelley goes on to say, Facebook essentially amplifies the worst of human nature. I don't exactly disagree with that. I think that that's pretty clear when you get on social media that the, a lot of the worst stuff uh, rises to the top. So that's something that I want to talk about here, here in a second. 
She says it's one of these unfortunate consequences. No one at Facebook is malevolent, but the incentives are misaligned. Facebook makes more money when you consume more content. People enjoy hanging, engaging with things that elicit an emotional reaction. And the more anger that they get exposed to, the more, inter- the more interact and the more they consume. The more they interact and the more they consume. That actually led to a complaint from major political parties. Now, this is where it starts to get uh, what some of the political parties have said in Europe. This is a complaint to Facebook by major political parties across Europe. The 2019 internal report obtained by Haugen says that the parties, quote, feel strongly that the change to the algorithm has forced them to skew negative in their communications on Facebook, leading them to more extreme policy positions. The algorithm on Facebook has led these political parties to take more extreme policy positions. Scott says the European political parties were essentially saying to Facebook that the way they've written the algorithm is changing the way we lead our countries. She said, yeah, they said that they're forcing us to take positions that we don't like, that we know are bad for society. We know if we don't take those positions, we won't win in the marketplace of social media. What a, what a scapegoat. If I've ever heard of scapegoating right there, that right there is a scapegoat. The actual political parties in Europe saying that we had to take these extreme positions because of Facebook. And we knew, we knew that these weren't good for society. So these, these extreme policy positions, we knew that they weren't good for society. But if we didn't take those positions, we wouldn't win on social media. That is a ridiculous excuse, if I've ever heard of one. And so then the last thing here about a the harm extending to Instagram. This is where they talk about that they were going to be doing the Instagram for teens. He says, one of the Facebook internal studies that you found talks about how Instagram harms teenage girls. One study says 13.5% of teen girls say Instagram makes thoughts of suicide worse. That's, that is a very serious. 17% of teen girls say Instagram makes eating disorders worse. She says, that's what's super tragic is Facebook's own research says, and these young women begin to consume this, this eating disorder content, they get more and more depressed and it actually makes them use the app more. Facebook's own research says that it's not just the Instagram, that the Instagram is dangerous for teenagers, that it harms teenagers and that it is distinctly worse than other forms of social media. So Instagram, really bad too. Okay. So one thing we talked about first was whether or not it would be good to create an app specifically for teens. And I can see a lot of really bad things going on with that, which is probably why Facebook has decided not to do it. And one thing I've noticed in this whole situation is that the market is going to react to this. It's a lot different when you have something coming from the market that people allegedly don't like. Of course, Facebook is just showing people what they want to see. So that's still kind of a weird conversation. Uh, but then they saw that, well, this actually wouldn't be good for teens, so we're not going to do it. And in fact, a bunch of our investors said that we shouldn't do that. Our stock price has been tumbling. We're down 15% from the highs of the year. And uh, we're actually, we're not going to do this. And now we're getting pulled in front of Congress, which is going to be a bunch of nothing. I mean, what do you guys think is going to happen? The Congress is going to put together an algorithm writing committee, and they're going to write this new algorithm for Facebook, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be like the best algorithm you guys have ever seen. Because if 
if anyone should fix that, then it should be Congress. That's that's who needs or maybe a, a some bureaucrats somewhere. We need to get ourselves some good bureaucrats coding the system for Facebook. That's what's got to happen. The other part of this that I thought was interesting was here's this whistleblower out there from Facebook talking about things that have led Facebook's stock price to just tank. Especially today, it was down a whole bunch. I'm still watching that 200-day moving average when it comes down to maybe around 316, somewhere down there. And, you know, one thing I noticed about the whistleblower, that uh, she didn't have to hop on a plane and flee the country immediately. She's not, she's not worried that she's going to go to prison for the rest of her life or get the death penalty. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Uh, Scott said, one of the things Facebook might allege is that she stole company documents, but the Dodd-Frank Act created an office of the whistleblower inside the SEC, and one of the provisions of that law says that no company can prohibit its employees from communicating with the SEC and sharing internal corporate documents with the SEC. Now, that's not exactly covered here because she's on 60 Minutes, not just the SEC. All right, so Facebook is a trillion-dollar company, just 17 years old has 2.8 billion users, just so everyone knows, which is 60% of all of the people on the internet on the planet. And she will be testifying this week. The last thing she added on here, because of course, remember, this is all going to be a push for policy. This is all going to be a push for regulation. That's, that's what's happening right now. It's no coincidence that she's going to be testifying in front of Congress this week. And Congress is, of course, going to have to act. The last thing she said was Facebook has demonstrated that they cannot act independently. Facebook over and over again has shown it chooses profit over safety. It is subsidizing. It is paying for its profits with our safety. So it's subsidizing its profits with our safety. I'm hoping that this will have had a big enough impact on the world that they get the fortitude and the motivation to actually go put those regulations into place. So a couple things yeah, I what Nicole just said, basically feel like this was staged. Like this is this is marketing. This is marketing pretty pretty uh pretty good, pretty high level marketing happening right now that we get this out there right before they're having all these testimonies in front of Congress this week. So of course we're gonna get everyone really upset about this, but what do you guys think should happen from this? And what do you think will happen from this? Is it something that we should be worried about? Is it something we should just be worried about as a society and we should work on changing the people and not exactly Facebook, which is just amplifying the people, essentially? Is it a net positive for society, Facebook? I mean, I can think of a lot of good things. And I can think of a lot of bad things, of course, that, that come from Facebook. It's been really great for seeing pictures of my family. That's good. I don't really use it to keep in contact with anyone. Most people say, well, I keep in contact with people that I wouldn't have. That's not me. Everyone that knows me knows that that's not me. So I'm, uh, that's, not, that's not exactly happening. But um, it's been really great if you run a political page. I can say that. It's really great for small businesses because you can run ads to people. And that's, of course, how Facebook makes their money. And I think it's been a really, really good thing as far as helping small businesses out that would have never been able to see the light of day if they were running bus bench ads or trying to put billboards up. 
they wouldn't have been able to do that. And they wouldn't have been able to target it the way that they have with Facebook. I think it's been really good overall for helping entrepreneurs. But of course, it also amplifies a lot of crazy content that could end up hurting entrepreneurs quite a bit. So what I want to know is, do you guys think that, what's the libertarian position on this? Is there anything that we need to do? Is there anything that Congress needs to do? Because what if, what if Facebook was harming our society? What if that's what they were doing? What if this actually is harming our society? My only, my only answer I can have to that is that you can delete it if you want to. People choose to use the app. And of course, if you want to see different things on Facebook, then show Facebook that you want to see different things. All they're doing is showing you what you've told them you want to see on the app. That's, that's, that's what they're showing you. They're showing you what you said you want to see. That's all they can do is write something that, te- that shows you those things. And so I can't figure out exactly. I don't know what Congress is going to look to do here. I know. Okay. I know what they're going to look to do here. They're going to want more censorship. Of course, people on the left are going to want more censorship. The people on the right are going to be up there saying uh, that there's too much censorship. That's what's going to happen. And so you'll see AOC up there talking about all the terrible hate speech And of course, it only applies to one side. Like there's only one side that's politically polarizing everything. It's all these people talking about how awful the government is. That's who we need to be afraid of. It's the people who don't want the government to have more power. It's people who don't want the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill because they hate child whatever that's going to be going on in this bill. Child care. I don't know. Bunch of unicorns and rainbows is what I've heard in this so far. So I'm reading through some of the comments right now. Pretty simple. Facebook shouldn't have the ability to infringe upon rights. Congress can. Same goes for Twitter. Where's the conversation with Twitter here too? Uh, Geez, I see a lot crazier stuff on Twitter. Man. We'll love to just go back to life before social media, including for business. I, uh, you know, I didn't have a business before social, social media. Well, I had a band before social media and I can say, um, I wouldn't have ever done any of the stuff in music. More than likely, I wouldn't have done the stuff in music that I did if it wouldn't have been for Facebook because we were able to run ads and all the people that we ever saw on the road were people that found us through Facebook ads. They used to be a lot cheaper. They used to be a lot easier to run. But you, I'm sure you guys do see that when you get on there, you um, you see a lot of hateful stuff, right? You see a lot of divisive stuff. I guess would be the bigger, the better term. You see a lot of things that are going to elicit an emotional response from you because that's what you're going to spend your time on. And I think really the only thing we can do is work on the society when it comes to that. If you want to change what your Facebook feed looks like, then click on different stuff. Scroll past everything. Just don't, just don't look at it. Don't comment on it. Don't like it. And if you do like it and comment on it, then it looks like that's the stuff that you want to see. Or you could scroll through longer to where you actually see more things. What's interesting here, one thing that's hurting Facebook a lot is I don't know if you guys noticed, but on the new iOS, and so this should just be for Apple people here, you can opt out of all the tracking. So one thing that Facebook does, and a lot of other apps do, is they track everything that you do. They track everything that you do on your phone, of course. And... 
It's an interesting conversation because this weekend we are giving a speech at Freer Future Fest in Nashville, Tennessee. If you guys want to come hang out, check out Freer Future Fest on Saturday at noon. We'll be giving a speech talking about privacy. And one of the things I know I'm going to be mentioning is the fact that iOS just allowed you to opt out of all of the tracking for your apps. For, that, for all of that third-party data, for, for Facebook to be able to get access to all of that, to make their evil algorithms better, uh, they've actually allowed you to opt out of that. And that's hurting Facebook's price a lot, too. It's going to hurt a lot of other companies that need that data, too. But isn't it, isn't it interesting? People actually do care about privacy when it comes to businesses. That's a weird thing. Now, we care about it when it comes to the government, too. But so far, the data on the new iOS is that only 5% of the people have opted into sharing their data across the platforms. Only 5% of them. And I, I think that we need to tip our hats a little bit to Apple because this was not a popular decision. A lot of companies... Do not like this at all. I know Apple does all of their... I know Apple does a lot of stuff that we don't like too. But they're allowing you to opt out of some of the tracking. Now, is there something that popped up on your phone allowing you to opt out of the NSA? Or allowing you to opt out of DHS? Anything like that? Your bank account able to opt out of the IRS? You don't get to opt out. It's really great that when we have a somewhat free market sometimes that they pay attention to what people want. And it turns out people actually do want more privacy. And so they added that option on there. Apple is known mostly for their privacy. It's one of the, also the iPhone and the iPod, stuff like that. But they're known really well uh, protecting people's privacy. And so they realize that there's a market for that. And so they're going to allow people to opt out of it. The government doesn't have to worry about that, of course. Why would they... Why would they? They've got a gun pointed at your face. They don't, they don't need to worry about whether or not you like it. So I, That's another thing that's going to be going in our speech this weekend is this whole privacy thing. So can you guys come up with, before we get out of here today, any action that the U.S. government should take on Facebook or is it all on the people? Is it all on if they do the teen Instagram? Is that all on parents to keep track of that? Should they be allowed to start that teen Instagram? Yeah, I can't come up with anything that I would see them doing. I can't come up with anything, even if I wanted them to do something. I can't come up with something they would actually do right. I can't come up with a way that they wouldn't just mess it up somehow. Of course they would just mess it up somehow. They, there's going to be, of course, what they really want is a backdoor into Facebook. And I know that they probably already have it, but they really want an official backdoor in the Facebook because there's a lot of data in there. Unless you're no longer sharing because you're using an Apple device. But there's a, still a lot of data in your Facebook account. And of course, the government wants that data because the more they know about you, the more control they can eventually have. Our, conver our actual conversation this weekend is going to be about how a tyranny could not exist 
if the people have a full amount of privacy, if they have privacy rights, just think about the things that they have to know. Well, first off, they have to have access to your bank account. They have to know, they have to know what your income is. They have to know those things. That's one thing you could do that would immediately decrease the size and the power of the government is having privacy from where it is that you work and how much income you make and not being able to be connected to your bank account. Right there, you're going to cut out so many things that the government could do. So that's the main thing. I'm just reading through some of these. You can make a case for protecting children, but grown-ass adults can decide what they want to watch. I think there, you know, I think there's a, I think you could entertain the conversation about protecting children with the teen Instagram thing. I still would have to lean on it being the parent's responsibility because it's not like, you know, if you're going to allow your kids to have a phone and to get on the internet and to get on, and I know, I know Joe, you're just saying that you could make the case for it. It's not exactly a policy proposal. I, I get that, but it's still it's still the parent's responsibility. I mean, if, you, if the kid has a phone, they could still do all the same stuff. It's just not going to be connected to these as easily. And heck, maybe this is one that you'd be able to have more control over because you would know exactly where they're going to do things. And so and kids, uh, I think that they would gravitate towards it, but then maybe the parent would know exactly what they were doing all their stuff on, or at least more so what they were doing. We definitely see a lot of things where the government is wanting to take away parental responsibilities. They want to become your mom and your dad, of course, that's what they want to do because parents get to control their kids as they should. Parents get to control their kids and the government wants to become your parents. They want to take away the parental responsibilities because you can't be left to make those decisions. Of course, we need, we need people randomly elected by using... <laughs> We need people that were randomly elected by using hate and outrage on social media to determine what social media should do, right? Whether or not we should be able to have the social media. And maybe this would disqualify all the people that got elected since Facebook came in. I don't know. I wouldn't want to do that, of course, but eh, maybe I would. All right. I'm going to keep reading through here, but we're going to finish up this episode I appreciate everyone listening, even though Charlie is not here today and he's not sorry at all. He told me to specifically let everyone know that he's not sorry about this. And those are his words, not mine. That's what he said. Okay. So once again, on Wednesdays, we're going to be talking about good news, positive things, things that make it seem as though not everything is on fire and about to burn down to the ground or head off the cliff or whatever metaphor you want to use. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about on white pill Wednesday. I, you, uh, you guys in the discord are keeping me up on what all that stuff means because I didn't even know what being white or black pill meant, but apparently that means that you have a, a, an outlook that, that there's a chance when you're white pilled. That's what it means. So if you don't know what that means, that's what it means. Okay. Share this with a friend, share this with an enemy. Share this on Facebook. Share it with everyone you can think of and even the children. Yes, that's right. This has been approved for children. I only said one curse word on this episode. So you can share this with your kids and just tell them to bleep out the, um, the ass part in there. The two times. 
that I said that. Just bleep it out, okay? So if you share it and you join the community on goodmorningliberty.locals.com, we'll be right back, both of us probably, tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. <laughs>